The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. The Explorers podcast is sponsored by RM Capital, a provider of specialist, small to mid-cap corporate advisory and boutique wealth management services. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We have the recently listed Pantera Minerals with us today. It joined the lists earlier this month after raising $7 million at 20 cents a share and it trades under the code PFE or Papa Foxtrot Echo. Now that the shares are trading at 35 cents for a market cap of about 25 million, tells us that there's a lot of interest in this one with its mix of early stage but potentially high impact iron ore, manganese and base metals in the north region of WA. Now while Pilbara's uh, and the central region of WA is known for its iron ore operations, not so well known is that up north in the Kimberley region there are a couple of iron ore mines on the islands of the Buccaneer Archipelago. Pantera is shifting the focus onto the mainland with its coastal Yampi project with the coastal location being important when compared with the hundreds of kilometres that the Pilbara and the Central West Iron Ore Boys have to travel to get their iron ore to port. Pantera also has a copper project in the Ampi region, a manganese project down south in the Ashburton region, and a base metals project inland from Carnarvon in the Upper Gascoigne region. It's an interesting mix, with the Ampi Iron Ore project in particular attracting a lot of attention from investors giving its high impact potential for a company with a modest $25 million market cap. Now, as we all know, iron ore has fallen from its record highs recently to around the $150 US a tonne level, but it's still a fantastic price, remembering it's twice the long-term average. Higher grade iron ore, like that that uh, could be expected in the uh, Yampi region, also fetches higher prices still. We have Pantera's CEO, Matt Hansen, with us today to fill us in on the Pantera story and what to look forward to as the company hits the ground with exploration programs in coming months. So with that, I'll say g'day, Matt. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for your time today. Oh, hi, Barry, and thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Great. Now, Matt, uh, the company and yourself uh, might be uh, new to uh, most people, so it'd be great if we could start out with you giving us a bit of a, a professional background on yourself and maybe some of the uh, team members you've assembled to get cracking at the projects. Yeah, sure. But I guess I'm a lawyer by trade, so I've stepped out of roles of being an in-house role recently at Rio Tinto Exploration, which I had for 10 months. And in the last seven years, act as a sole practitioner, primarily in the resource industry, providing you know land access and general mining advice to mining companies as well as traditional owner groups. So I've sort of across that sort of space. I'm a Noongar man as well, so I think I'm the only Aboriginal person at the moment running a listed ASX company. Um, which is pretty unique f- for us, and I think it's a good selling point for the company. Mm. And hopefully, we'll see more other, you know, other companies themselves jump on and follow the same pathway. There should be more indigenous people running these companies, especially when we're acting and you know, looking around on Aboriginal owned and traditional owned lands. So, yeah, it's exciting. No, absolutely. Um, now, just on that point, um, and you mentioned you were with Rio Tinto there for a while, the, uh, the UK and 
cave uh, disaster. Um, I'm just wondering how you see, uh, you know, the traditional owner engagement, uh, the partnership evolving uh, as we move forward now. Yeah, I think that what happened at Drick and Gorge was uh, terrible and shocking, and uh, it's happened before my. I was at Rio Tinto Explorations, happened before my time, but it's good to see there's a bit of a wind of change sort of following through other companies and companies are realising now that traditional owners and native title holders are a stakeholder and they need to be engaged and that engaged engagement needs to be done correctly and also allowing them the right time to make the correct decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, it's important to be, you know, we're up in an area up in um, North Kimberley. It's a determined title area. You know, it's a TO group that's had operations up there before, you know, in Coolin Island and Cockatoo Island. So they understand mining and understand the opportunities it can bring. But at the same time for us, it's about making sure that they're engaged and across the project from exploration all the way through. And that just means us keeping them, communicating with them and keeping them across the project and keeping them updated. <laughs> so just checking here, the same traditional owner group that uh, you'll be involved with uh, have been involved with the Cockatoo Island. Yep, and, that's true, yeah. Yep, okay, cool. Now, your key project, Yampi Iron Ore, uh, 140 yeah, yeah. kilometres uh, north of... Uh, Derby, um, yeah. or Derby. Derby, yeah, uh, so it's about 140Ks by, as the crow flies from Derby, and it's a pretty remote area. And for us to get there right now, to get our boots on the ground, we've got to, like, chopper in and out from Derby. It's about a 45-minute chopper ride, mm-hmm. um, which means we've had to build a specific pally rig for us to drill this year. Um, when we when this project was pitched to me about 10 years ago, or 10 months ago, sorry, um, the chairman, Barnaby Edgett Warburton, he's been trying to get me out of law and involved in some of the approach for about eight years. And this one really grabbed me because of the remote location and the opportunities it could bring for a TA group. Mm-hmm. But we knew that, you know, with the, with the way the boom's going, that there's a lack of rigs out there at the moment. So we were had the forethought of commissioning a local contractor to build us a Pacific heli rig. Um, that's the process of being pretty close to being finished. You'll be commissioned in the next two weeks. And then once we get a final approval, we will mobilise to Derby. And this rig will be flown in seven pieces from just out about 25Ks from this tenement location and flown into site and then reassembled and drilled and then moved again for each hole. Well, yeah, real frontier stuff there. Yeah, no roads where we're going. Yeah, that's right. Now, um, what do we know about the iron ore potential um, in that region? Well, you know, it's, it was just off the, it's on, on, on shorts. Off the coast from where you see, you know, Mount Gibson's iron ore projects, you've had Cookatoo Island there, which has had some of the highest grade iron ore come out of the world. We think it's the same sort of play. We think it's come down and come under the ocean and popped up again where we are on the mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, no one's drilled there. It's, you know, wildcat drilling. It's, you know, unexplored and it just needs to be drilled. There's been some pretty good chip samplings in the past that we've done for and, and you know, investigated. And, um, like, we didn't know what's there, but something's going on. Um, I guess we we're fortunate enough to have my head of explorations, a guy called Nick Payne. He was the head of exploration from Mount Gibson on Coolin Islands. He wrote a paper to his board at the time saying, look, that ground over there, the Yankee, Yankee Project Tenement is interesting, but it needs to be drilled. I want to see it drilled first before we look at it further. So to have him, have him on board and to have someone who's walked the ground you know, 10 years ago is pretty exciting for us. Yeah, absolutely. The um, now I mentioned the well, it's obviously a coastal location. Um, that's obviously uh, you're not going to have to build a 800 kilometre rail line to get to port, or or load up trucks, or load up trucks and drive them 
600 kilometres. But what would be, uh, I know I'm putting the cart before the horse here, but what would be the uh, export uh, solution? Uh, we think the export solution would be to be able to build a conveyor belt with a low footprint straight to the coastline. And from there, we think we get Panamaxes in and just directly ship out. Mm-hmm. So, we, yeah, you're right. We're not, we're not land banks. We're not 800 caves from the coastline, coastline like some pilgrim assets. So that infrastructure cost for us is a lot less significant than it would need to be. And once mm-hmm. again, we're not having to face a position where we need to go, you know, we need to go and negotiate with like three or four different NATOLDA groups to build a railway or a hall road. One group... We put a relationship with them and they come on the journey. Yeah. yeah okay. Now, um, the proposed exploration program, five diamond holes planned, that's right? That's it. Yeah, five holes hopefully starting in early October. We're just waiting for a final approval from the Department of Mines to, you know, POW approved and there'll be five holes this season. Right. Now, that's a six-week program. Six to eight-week program, thereabouts. Yep. 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 And SA results uh well, depending on what... Oh, well, we think early, late December, early just January. It just depends on the timing of, and we able to get the core back and then, you know, we understand a lot of labs are busy at the moment. You know, the boom's still ha- happening in Perth and there's a lack of contractors and availability for sort of re- review, but we thought of proposing late December, early January. And what can you tell us about where you've uh, cited these uh, drill holes? What is it about that, those particular locations uh, yeah, you know, shoot my geo, my rock doctor along, but we we just you can walk the ground and you can see it's everywhere and it's on the top of the ridge. So we've just got five holes we think that will allow us to get the right results, allow us to shore up a program, a more detailed exploration program next. Right, let's let's drill before this wet season, and then you know reassess the results early early next year, and then look looking to be drilling again, again in May. Hmm. Um. The nature of the mineralisation, does it outcrop or is it, uh, is it deep or what's... Yes, yeah, it's outcropping, but we, like I said, we've had some rock chip sampling, but we just don't know what's there until we start drilling. Like it's, there's some big outcropping, there's some, you know, it's on the ground, you can see it, but like I said, we don't know how the depth is yet because no one's drilled there. It's never been drilled. Mm. But it's, it's waiting, waiting for something to come in. And I think the problem is, it's, you know, it's very remote and there's always been access to other opportunities in the Pilbara in the past and those opportunities are falling away. So everyone's needed needs to go a bit more remote. And this is the, sort of the first, you know, play that we're seeing come to the market. Yeah, okay. Now, in that same neck of the woods, you have a copper uh, project about eight kilometres southeast from the... Yeah. What's, uh, what's the story there? Well, we've had some um, magnetic, you know, anomalies pop up, which sort of shows there's opportunity for copper there. And, you know, as we know, there's generally copper comes with, with iron ore at times and... We just think that there's opportunity for that, that there as well. So we've put our foot in a pretty big tenement package. So we've sort of locked ourselves in and made sure that no one can come and land bank us and lock us out. And we just um, gives us another opportunity to while we're up there to explore. Right. And uh, exploration there, or in terms of drilling, that would be uh, next year sometime, perhaps? Yeah, next year sometime. So like our focus is the Yappy yeah, Iron Ore project. And then once it allows us to get in and, and actually understand what it's like to explore there, because, you know, this is no one's been explored there before. There's no roads. You know, how, how is logistics okay? How are we safety and how is all that going to work up in an area which hasn't had that much exploration? So, so you know, come in this year, drill five holes, come out again, understand, and then go back in again next year with an updated program and potentially look across that 
Cobber project, but we just that that tenement isn't granted yet. It's we're just going to go for the grant process, which should be by the open by the end of the year, and then next year we'll have a decent exploration program across both projects. Right, okay. And uh, the manganese project, which is kind of north of Elements Twenty uh, Five's Butcher Bird Manganese project. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Close to Element Twenty Five's, which is why we like it. Um, and I guess what we come is we, you know, having a project just based in the Kimberley. With wet season issues and you know why we could be drilling through the wet season because it's not you know it's up on a an outcrop and there's no no way of it's getting bogged we just can't be flying mm. choppers around in, in thick rain so the other two projects give us opportunities to have like an all-round mm-hmm. year exploration programs and you know we we, we like it because we're near element 25. yeah yeah it's um, got a huge market cap now as it uh, shipped its first manganese uh, cons uh, quite recently but um yeah, it did. Yeah, so same sort of area. You know, other people, other players are coming in. They like it. So hence the reason we were lucky to get in there. You know, 12, 18 months ago and grab some some tenements and some land and see what it could deliver for us around the shareholders. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Frederick, the uh, lead zinc play. Uh, what can you tell me about that over near uh, inland from Carnarvon? Uh, that's another area as well that we you know we all, we all, we like. It's, you know, no one else is really doing much around that area. We've got a decent tenement in there as well. And we also just want to get in there and explore. So it's early, you know early exploration, the potential for great upside. We have a discovery, and you know it's, it's a good way to, um, for investors to get in and, and come along for the journey. Yeah. Uh, just just back to the uh, the uh, traditional owner uh, side of things. What uh, we uh, we see uh, Rio Tinto and BHP and Fortescue doing various things, uh, lifting their engagement with traditional owners, but. Given your special position, I'm just wondering what what talents do you think you'll bring to your uh, engagement with traditional owners, particularly in the for the Yampi project. That's a very good question. I think I think it was said to me years ago by a senior Aboriginal man based in the Kimberley that he's always seen the smaller players do better in this engagement space because mm-hmm. they're able to be more nimble, more active, and actually, you know, the people, the person making decisions of herself is the one meeting yeah. the group. And so I've gone from a position where, you know, I've given clients as in like Rio and Northern Star and um, Billabong Gold and Western areas, both Nagy Total and, you know, just general Indigenous engagement advice. And, and most times that's taken on. But in the end, it, you saw, saw the company's decision about what they take on, what they do and what they don't. Whereas now you've got a person who understands the landscape really well, who's worked across both sides in WA with Aboriginal groups and the mining, mining companies and has a fair idea, or a pretty good idea, how Aboriginal groups can get involved in the opportunities that mining and exploration brings. Mm. So I get to be the one making the decisions and, and, and being at the table and can understand what, how I can bring them along with the story mm-hmm. and when to bring them in. So for me, it's going to be just asking them, what do, you, what do you want to get involved with? And if they, they keep getting, that's not for us, that's not for us, but that's for me to still try and talk and understand What's their what's their plan? How can we help them to bring along the road? Mm. So, do you see the you know the traditional land use agreement evolving, perhaps, um, and how could it evolve for that closer engagement and partnership? I think, I think, I think the, the the Aboriginal agreements and the land agreements are, are pretty good. Like, yes, there's been some movement in the royalty amounts and and that sort of thing in the last few years, and so there should. But I think it's more about just building that relationship from the start and trying to get the TO groups to come along with the journey and get them excited. Now, you know, some groups don't want to get involved in, in employment and equity development, and that's fine. 
some groups do or some groups are like, well, I want to get involved but I don't know how to because they don't have the right advisors around them. And that's our, my job to realise that when you've got a sort of big outside of boxes, how can we just keep chipping away and asking them, making sure they're, they're involved in the process? Because in the end, it's their land. And I, in the market puts a value on land, but from an Aboriginal point of view or a traditional point of view, they can't put a value on their mm. land. So we've got to make sure we've got to be really aware of that and just making sure that we are engaging with them as much as we can, but without pushing them at the same time. So not making sure that they're making the decisions and the decisions that they have the right advisors around and they make their decisions and they're, they're considered and they're, you know, they're happy with what they're doing and, you know, we're all working together as a team or, you know, they're, they're just about a stakeholder as our shareholder. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And just um, given the remote location, I'm just wondering, has there been any traditional owner blocks to date preventing expiration in that area or was it just simply because uh, it was so remote and, as you said, there was plenty of iron ore down in the Pilbara and the central west? Yeah, no, we haven't, had any, we haven't had any blocks from us. Mm. So I think uh, the vendor we, we purchased the tenements off, he had the tenements about 10 years ago. Um, FMG were looking, were interested and then the iron ore prices dropped. So um, And there was obviously more easier locations for explorers and, and the big boys to look. Mm. So they went there, which there. So that the heritage survey was done across the tenement ten years ago, and then we we did a new field field inspection visit six weeks ago. And the TOs were like, "Hey, we did this ten years ago. <laughs> we want to wait another ten years for you to explore. Hurry up and do it, and we do it." I'm like, "Yes." But so there's been some, you know, you think iron ore price dropped. It's come back now. Yep, it's not at two hundred twenty dollars anymore. It's but it's still a pretty high price. Mm. So opportunity for us to get in and do it. Um, yeah, it's remote, but I guess for us, you know, using a heli rig, that's got some challenges. But then again, I see it as being our environment and footprint is pretty low. Like, yes, we're using helicopters, but I'm not building a 200k road for a drilling program. So if it's if the resources are there, fine, we leave. Our footprint's been very small. If the resource is there, great. We've got an opportunity to get in there, do some more drilling next year. We've got a, we've got a heli rig that we've got available for, just for as long as we want. So we're in a real, real good position to explore this and see what the final, final mm, okay. the, um What do you make of the iron ore price? Uh, it's interesting that, and I touched on it earlier, the interest in this uh, Yampi iron ore project uh, is pretty strong because the share price uh, at, what, 35 cents thereabouts, the float price, the IPO price is 20 cents. So there's obviously a lot of interest in the uh, upside potential. Yeah, I think you're right. Like we opened at 20 had a really good opening day. We've sort of set around 35, which I think is fantastic. Um, yeah, the iron ore prices dropped off a bit, but you know, we read some reports today that are sort of saying that you know what you've seen in the last couple of months in the decrease is due to you know the, there's still some lingering COVID effects over there, and you know we're just gonna, we should come up, we'll come out the summer period soon. We'll see some increase in construction activity, but yeah, it's lower than $220 than it was you know, two months ago, but it's sort of a pretty good price. Like you said, yeah, yeah. Oh, when it was 230 240 it was uh, probably un- unsustainable. Um, yeah, that's uh, right. Okay, then. So let's uh, bring it all together and give investors a feel for what they should be looking out for in the uh, lead up to the end of the year and perhaps a bit of a, an insight into um, how the uh, the groups, uh, the company's program will expand into those other areas in the new year. Yeah, thanks, Barry. So, like for us, it's like our prime focus is the Yampi project, which we've really um, 
looking to drill this in hopefully early October, just based on the last final approval from the Demirs. Uh, five-week program, five or six-week program, six holes, which should give a good indication of what's there and it will allow us to shore up a further exploration program leading into the next year. And then following that, it's drilling our Willarina and our magne- magnesium project and then Frederick's after that, like next year. So it's like we've got a good book of future exploration results to come through and we'll just, you know, want to get out there excited and see what results yeah, we get. absolutely. Uh, I can't help myself. Pantera, I love knowing what's in a name. What does... Uh... Uh, you know what, when Barney brought me on, I said, Pantera, where's it come from? Is this the ba- based on the band name, you know, the heavy metal rock band from the 90s or 80s? And, well, why that works? It's actually named after the, Pan- the Pantera's 19, was it the 1980s Italian sports. Oh, there you go. Well, you do learn something every yeah. day, don't you? Yeah. yeah. And then the same as the logo. The logo sort of represents what the bonnet uh, that car looks like. So, you know. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick a good name too, right? Like, yeah, you see rolls, so many rolls, off the there, tongue. rolls off the tongue. It does off the very well, yeah. You know, and it's got a good, got a good ASX ticker of PFE. So, right. you know, same as code for um, iron ore. Great. Okay, folks, there we go. Very interesting story. Opening up uh, potentially a new iron ore province in Australia and uh, then with uh, base metals and manganese uh, projects to uh, uh, come along uh, probably next year. So we'll be watching with interest, Matt. And uh, congratulations on uh, getting it up and uh, we'll be watching with interest. Thanks, Barry. Really appreciate your time. Cheers, Matt.